So here we go, Palm Sunday, continuing through this series in Hebrews, as we've been working through that. Uh, And today we're up to a point in Hebrews where it seems to take a bit of a turn. If you've been reading along with our reading track that we use to go through Hebrews, we've been splitting the entire book of Hebrews out for the time of Lent, and we're getting pretty close to the end now. And all of those opening chapters, if you've been reading or following our messages in previous weeks, they talk about Jesus and who Jesus was and is and everything that it means that Jesus is fully divine but also fully human. And then we had chapter after chapter after chapter of the high priest and what it means that Jesus is now our high priest and all of that business that went on through Hebrews If you've been reading along, though, this is the week where you get up to Hebrews chapter 11, and we read through that if you read through the readings this week. It seems like the whole book takes a turn there, like it jumps topics. All this talk about Jesus and the high priest, and and then it just seems to shift gears about Hebrews 11. It's that chapter with all these heroes of faith, right? The hall of fame of these heroes of faith. And it talks about who all those people are, right? By faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith, Moses, and on and on and on down the line. One name I'm going to highlight out of that before we get into the passage today, one name in that list from Hebrews 11 that maybe we don't talk about, or maybe you don't even know who this is, this is from Hebrews 11, verse 5. It's by faith, Enoch. Who's Enoch? That's what it says in Hebrews 11, verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Enoch one who was commended as pleasing God. Because without faith, you cannot please God. So what did he do that that made him worthy of this title and a place in the hall of fame of people of faith? Who is Enoch even? Well, he hardly shows up at all in the Bible. In fact, the place where you have to go to find Enoch is Genesis 5. We don't ever read Genesis 5 because here's the reason why. Genesis 5 is a lineage. It's one of those chapters that's just about, and -and so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, and and -and so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, right? It's just a lineage that traces the genealogy from Adam, the first one created, to Noah, right? It's that chapter that just bridges us from the story of Adam and Eve to Noah and the flood. So it's just name after name after name. That's where Enoch shows up in that lineage. Here's what it says, all right? So Genesis 5 just talks about, this is all we know about Enoch, just this, right? It says this. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked with God faithfully. Then he was no more because God took him away. That's it. That's all we know about Enoch. So Hebrews 11, you've got this hall of fame of all of these great people of faith. And if you read Hebrews 11, it talks about what they did, right? 
By faith, Noah, because he believed God and he built the ark. By faith, Abraham, because he heard God's call to go to a place he didn't even know, and he went. By faith, Moses. By faith, Joseph. I mean, on down the line, that all goes. And it tells us what they did. But Enoch, all we know is he walked faithfully with God. What does that mean? What did he do? I kind of like the, um, the mystery of that, right? The ambiguity that we don't exactly know because that's a point of entry for us into Scripture, isn't it? A point of entry where we can say, maybe this some way reflects or mirrors our walk, our journey, what God is calling and desires for us to do as his people, to walk faithfully with him, whatever that means through our lives, to walk with God. It's interesting how faith is presented that way, right? Not not just presented in a way where it's what you believe and what you know. It's not just something in your head. It's not just something you embrace in your heart. But, but faith, as they describe it there in Scripture, it moves. It walks. It's a journey. It's something that we live out in our days. And as our days turn to months, and as our months turn to years, that faith takes shape in the life that we live. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. Eugene Peterson, who's a a Christian author, he has a book that's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's how he talks about the journey of discipleship. A long obedience in the same direction. I think that's what it means to walk with God, the way Enoch is commended for walking with God. That faith is a journey. It has motion. We walk that journey. Or, as we're going to see in Hebrews 12, run. That it's a race, but still some motion to it, a journey. So, Hebrews 12, and today I'm just going to focus on three verses, all right? So, not a long passage, three verses from Hebrews 12. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great cloud of witnesses. So uh, this great cloud of witnesses that's talked about in Hebrews 12, that is a reference to all of those people in chapter 11. That's what the great cloud of witnesses is, right? Because this is where the book of Hebrews is sort of turning a corner. It's this bridge passage that looks back but also looks ahead. So it begins by a reference to this great cloud of witnesses, 
those mentioned in Hebrews 11. Now, not witnesses in the sense of they're looking at us, that they're witnessing what we do. That's not the intention here. No, this great cloud of witnesses that's talked about in Hebrews 12 that refers to all these people listed in Hebrews 11, they are witnesses in the sense of they have given witness. They have shown us the way, how to walk in faith. That's what the great cloud of witnesses is about in Hebrews 12. So all of those people listed in Hebrews 11, including Enoch, who walked faithfully with God, all of those people show us the way. We look back at them as Scripture points us to look back at them as those who have walked faithfully with God. And even though with someone like Enoch, there's sort of this mysterious ambiguity about what exactly that meant and how his life embraced that, the others in Hebrews 11, we know what they did because Scripture tells us. We know about the life of Noah because Scripture tells us about that and what he did. We know about Abraham We know about Joseph. We know about Moses. We know about all those others who are listed there in Hebrews 11 and what they did to be commended for their faith. But here's what strikes me about that list, okay? What strikes me about that list of people of faith and what they did is that the life of faith that they did always seemed to bump into the unexpected, I think that's something we can pull out of that list, something that we see from Hebrews 11. That as we look at those people of faith and look at the life they lived, how often their lives went in directions they never saw coming, right? Never. Can you imagine that? By faith, Noah. Noah's walk with God, I don't think Noah ever expected in his life that his walk would walk with God in faith would somehow include building a giant boat. He never saw that coming. It's the same thing true for the rest as well. By faith, Abraham. I don't know that Abraham, as he was growing up, ever imagined that he would reach a point in life where God would tell him, I want you to pack up everything you own and go to some other place. And you know what? I'm going to show you when you get there. You don't know anything about it, and I'm not going to tell you any more about it. Just go. I don't think Abraham saw that coming. That was rather unexpected. I don't think Joseph intended for his brothers to sell him off to slave traders and be hauled to Egypt and live as a slave in a dungeon for years before coming in service to the Pharaoh. That must have been rather unexpected as a turn in his life. I don't think Moses intended to spend the last two-thirds of his life just wandering in a desert, right? 40 years just tending sheep and then 40 years tending a grumpy nation of Israel. The walk of faith with God continually confronts us with the unexpected. That seems to be a feature that we pick up as we read about this. And as you look over that list in Hebrews 11, 
and see the details there of what it tells us about who these people are and what it meant for them to walk in faith. And maybe we jump over that part because, let's be honest, we don't like that so much. We don't like when life goes in unexpected directions. We're not really good at that ourselves, are we? That when life goes in directions that we didn't see coming, that often we struggle with that too, in some ways. I mean, think about what we're celebrating here today on Palm Sunday, that as Jesus came into Jerusalem and all those crowds of people were gathered and they're waving the palm branches and they're shouting Hosanna and they're welcoming in to be the king of the Jews, right? The the Messiah that God has sent. They had expectations for what that meant. A good number of people in that crowd had an expectation that the Messiah, the one that God was going to send to be the Savior, was going to free them from the oppression of Rome, the Roman occupiers. They thought the Messiah, the Savior that God was going to send, was going to be someone who returned the nation of Israel to their glory days. Like the days when David was king and Solomon after him. right? The days when Israel was the most prominent nation in the world at that time. That's what they expected. That's what they were looking for. Jesus did not meet their expectations. And so later that same week, that same week, some of those same people were calling for his execution. Right? A week that began with Jesus as the king to be exalted ends with Jesus, the villain, to be executed. That turns so quickly. So why is the author of Hebrews writing about this? What what does this have to do? Well, let's remember a little bit of the historical context for this passage. Let's remember a little something about the people who would have first received this letter. Because they were Jewish Christians, right? They were people who were likely living in the area of Israel, the Hebrew Christians, they knew their Old Testament scriptures, and they received this at a time of the first generation of Christians, the first generation of Christ followers who were experiencing and beginning to experience some rather intense persecution. Life was not easy for them because there were still people in Israel who were trying to stamp out this Jesus movement still trying to get rid of all these people who followed Jesus. They were not facing an easy road ahead of them. So the author of Hebrews knows that. He knows he's writing to a group of people who are facing some intense opposition. They're weary. They're worn out. They're tired. They're fatigued. You know, and, and I'll, I'll give it that term. Let's call it that. Discipleship fatigue, right? Discipleship fatigue, a frustration and tiredness of a spiritual life that, that does not always meet our expectations. I didn't expect that following God would be this hard, 
I didn't expect that when I turned my life over to Jesus and followed in his way that that things wouldn't always go the way that I expected them to go. I didn't always see that coming. And so there's a fatigue that gets in the way. We know a little something about fatigue, don't we? Maybe not in the discipleship context, but in other contexts as a whole. Right? If you've been aware of anything at all in our world over the last two years, you know something about fatigue. Right? We, we've even given some names to this. Pandemic fatigue. That at some point this has gone on so long, I'm tired of it. I'm worn out. I'm weary. Or remember a, a term called Zoom fatigue. That for those of you who work jobs where you're meeting with people and everything was sort of uh, isolated and broken up, I would spend how many hours a day on those Zoom video, internet video conference meetings? And all right, it was kind of a novelty at first, but day after day of the only people I see are in little boxes on a computer screen. I'm worn out. I'm weary. I'm tired of that. We know something about fatigue. And we know what fatigue does to us, don't we? We can be honest about that, right? We know that after you live with that kind of fatigue after so long that, that, all right, the fuse gets a little shorter, doesn't it? Tempers can flare. Frustrations are there. That's what fatigue does. I think the author of Hebrews is writing to a people who he knows, yeah, some fatigue is setting in. These people are tired. They're worn out. They need something to hold on to. So he begins by saying, you know what? Turn around and look back. You think you're the only ones facing something unexpected? Look at all these other people who we hold up as heroes of the faith. None of them faced a life that was all perfectly laid out the way they planned. None of them. That's just a feature of walking in faith is that we face some times that are unexpected, unprecedented. You know, as we talk about that term, and I've heard people say this, I'm tired of people saying that we live in unprecedented times. Just for once, can I have one week of precedented times? Just give me something precedented because we're worn out, right? Because that fatigue is there. So we begin by turning around and looking back and remembering we're not the only ones. It's not just us. It's not just the time we live in. There have been others. Others who have faced those same struggles. Others who have faced that same fatigue. And you know what? God commended them for their faith. Even in that. Even through that. There is a place where the journey of faith, the walk of faith that God places before us has a path even through unexpected life, unexpected times, when life goes in directions we didn't see coming. So what does that look like, looking ahead? right? How does that race marked out for us show up through times that are unexpected? I think one of the questions to ask here is, what's the command in this passage? Right? What, what is it that 
I only picked three verses from Hebrews 12. What is it that we're supposed to do out of this? What's the takeaway for us? Now, this might be a little confusing because there seems to be like a whole lot is going on, even though it's just three verses, right? Look at all the commands in there. Throw off everything that hinders, run with perseverance, fix our eyes on Jesus, consider him who endured such opposition. How do we do that? How does that make a plan or a way forward for us? How does that tell us about faith that gets through unexpected times? Well, you know, let let me give just a little bit of a breakdown of how this works out. It's only three verses. We can look a little more closely at this. So in the Greek, uh, verses 1 and 2 in the Greek are one sentence. I know in your English Bibles it's broken into three sentences because it would be one of those run-ons, the way it comes to us in English. But in Greek, it's one sentence. And because it's one sentence, there's one verb, one action, one main clause out of that whole thing. And I'll, I'll cut straight to what that is. It's, it's run with perseverance. The one thing that comes is, this is the main part, this is the main clause, this is the one action that's right at the top. Run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Perseverance. Walking with faith, walking with God in faith, especially in the unexpected turns of life, it takes perseverance. How? How do we do that? What does that look like? Well, that's where all of the other pieces of these verses fit in as sort of subpoints, bullet points underneath that. They're actually, in, in Greek, they're participles. We have participles in English, too. If you don't know what a participle is, ask your middle school English teacher. You know, get a refresher course on that. They all come underneath that. So, so everything else in these verses, everything else, right? Throwing off the things that hinder, fixing our eyes on Jesus, considering him who endured opposition. These are all the bulletless points of this is what you do to run with perseverance. This is what running with perseverance looks like. Here's the game plan of how you take that on, how you make that happen. Throw off the things that hinder. That hinder what? Well, that hinder fixing our eyes on Jesus. That hinder considering him who endured opposition. Considering. Uh, That's a Greek word that, that refers to pondering or meditating upon. Focusing our attention on. Right? To think about. That we pay attention to Jesus who did endure opposition from sinners just like we in unexpected times, face opposition, right? So the author of Hebrews here is giving us sort of a game plan for what that looks like, to walk with God, a race that requires perseverance by throwing off things that hinder, by fixing our eyes on Jesus, by considering him who endured opposition. And then he closes with, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Right? He, he's calling out the fatigue. Yeah, we're tired, right? Yeah, sometimes this walk 
with God and faith feels like it wears us out. What do we do when life feels like that? What do you do when it feels like this walk of life just has taken so many unexpected turns that I didn't see coming? How do I keep going? How do I take that next step? What do I do? How do I persevere in that? There's a few little bullet points given there about how we persevere in that so that we do not grow weary, that we do not lose heart. And Jesus is brought into this, right? Jesus is once again brought into the center of this, that that Jesus, the one who intervenes for us, Jesus, the one that, as we've seen in all these chapters, he's, he's the high priest who mediates for us, who intercedes for us, that Jesus has become the center of this this run with perseverance. Do you catch that? Look at the way that's given all those little hints just in these three verses. Jesus, the one who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, that our faith centers on him. Jesus, the one who endured the cross. Jesus, the one who sat down at the right hand of God. The the action of sitting down, uh, that is something that communicates Completed work, right? So by sitting down, it's saying, Jesus, who finished, he completed the task set before him. Jesus, the one who endures opposition from sinners. Jesus is brought into the middle of this so that when we face those times of fatigue and ask, how in the world can I keep running with perseverance? The author of Hebrews wants us to know that, you know what? Whatever it is that you and I lack in our walk with God, Jesus makes up for it. Right? That when we face that road with that walk with God and we say, I look at those heroes of faith in the way that they kept walking and kept persevering and I don't know how they did that because I don't feel like I can take those steps that we're reminded in this passage today that you know what? When you feel like you can't take those steps forward, Jesus takes steps to you. That he came to you. That when you feel like life has gotten me so worn out that I don't even know what that next step looks like, Jesus is the one who steps to you. That our walk with God centers on Jesus in that way. So in the times where our journey may look like It's stuck. Can't keep going. I don't know where the next step goes. Life has been so unexpected, I feel like I'm just spinning in circles. That's the place where Jesus comes to you. That's what we see here on Palm Sunday, right? That Jesus took a step closer to the cross because a step closer to the cross was a step closer to you step closer to the work that was before him to give himself was a step closer to you. That Jesus does this so that our walk of faith is something that he holds in his faithfulness. Those heroes of faith that were commended for their walk with God. 
Enoch, who faithfully walked with God. We remember today, the one who's faithful, that's Jesus. Jesus is the faithful one. And our walk with God is held in his faithfulness. That's what we remember today. That's what we remember this week as we see those steps that Jesus took. That our walk with God is held in the faithfulness of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word and the gift of your word and the way that we see you revealed in that. And the reminder once again of those who went before us who show us that yeah, we may not be the only ones who live with tiredness and fatigue, but there is a way to walk in faith, even through those times. So Lord, help us to remember again today that when we feel those steps aren't there in front of us, that you take steps closer to us. May our walk of faith always be held in your perfect faithfulness. Thank you for that. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.